0: Welcome to the Retire While You Work podcast here in Nashville, Tennessee. We believe the concept of retirement in this country is fundamentally broken. We work ourselves to death and we miss out on so many of life's precious moments. I'm David Adams.
1: I'm Carson Odom. I'm Miles Zuger.
0: And together, as a team of Certified Financial Planner Professionals and CPAs, we're committed to helping free others from this antiquated mindset, using our three-bucket approach to managing money and finding creative ways to live now and retire while you work. Join us as we discuss a variety of financial topics and ways to help us change the way we think about time and money and which one of these is the true currency. All right, everyone, it's great to see you all. I'm Chris Doty from Gentian Financial, coming to you from uh, Mequon, Wisconsin. I also have with me uh, wonderful friends from uh, David Adams Wealth Group and also from uh, Tim Fries. I just wanted to bring to you Miles as well and uh, Zach. So in here, what we wanna do today is talk about a topic that is really uh, kind of central to all of us is we're all now connected via this thing called the World Wide Web, the internet. Email all these different applications, your Raymond James Online that you log into every day, we see as well. But what are we doing here to keep things safe? What about cybersecurity? You hear a lot about cyber criminals, more and more in the news, hacking, phishing. You hear all these different items. And what are we doing to help you out with that? What are we doing to prevent that from occurring with your, with your? accounts and keep them secure here. So we actually met at the Raymond James National Conference. It was kind of interesting. We were walking around and went to a wonderful demonstration here and met Jessica Rice, and she is our our liaison, our expert, if you will, our guru on keeping everything safe for our division of Raymond James. We're going to have her today here in just a little while bring us and illuminate some of the things that they're doing and they do to keep us safe. Um, there's a couple things. So Tim and David, we kind of played a trick on them this morning. We actually locked them out of the system so you won't see either one today. We actually locked them out so that they couldn't participate here just to show them how we could work in cybersecurity. So that was um, thanks to Jessica. Thank you very much. So in in case, though, we'll also bring Zach and Miles from their group, uh, which somebody said might have been an upgrade, Miles and Zach. So I, I don't know what that was was about, but somebody said that was a a rational upgrade for both, but I look forward to, uh, to uh, our time today together, and you're normally used to hearing me talk about gratitude, which I'll do in just a moment here. I'll give everybody a little bit on that, and some dad jokes. I'll minimize the dad jokes and the gratitude today because it's a very serious subject, um, especially when it comes to what they're talking about here, um, but I will probably give you a little time for gratitude once we go through as well. Um, so, Miles, how about a few words from, uh, from Nashville, Tennessee?
1: Yeah, I just want to welcome our clients to the call here um, this morning, and you know, it's as we go more and more online and more cyber with the world we're living in today, I think it's important for us to communicate uh, with our clients, not only what we're doing at Raymond James to protect your data and steps that we're taking from that standpoint, but also from the standpoint of other tips that we can give to you when it comes to online banking or running more and more of your finances online or email phishing attacks that are coming through. So, in an effort just to provide you guys more value, just like we do with the health and wellness type webinars, we wanted to put some more information out there from the cybersecurity standpoint and just provide a little bit more value to you as clients of our firms.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much, Miles. I appreciate that. And I think one thing that we've always found out, and I think Miles, I agree with this, we've had conversations with uh, between our teams is how serious Raymond James takes cybersecurity, takes your security, takes the security of your money. It is an incredible business within itself. They've got a command center that you can see down in uh, Tampa, Florida, that is unbelievable to see how many cyber threats. And again, Jessica will illuminate us on that in a little while as well, but um, we appreciate that as well. How about yourself, Zach, from Tim's office? Yeah,
2: just appreciative to have Jessica here today um, and continue doing these webinars in the spirit of getting better every day. Um, We're pretty proud of how seriously Raymond James uh, prioritizes our client's security and personal data. I'm happy to bring her today to you to see how you can do it at home with the evolution of technology. It's uh, certainly made our lives better and easier, but along with that comes a potential threat. So we're pretty excited to hear what Jessica has to say. Um, Another point, there will be um, a replay sent out to clients who uh, weren't able to see this today or wanted to share it with a friend or a family member. And also, at the end, we will have a little time slot for Q and A, and there's a bottom or a button at the bottom of your screen that if you do have questions, feel free to click on them and ask them.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much, Zach. I appreciate that. So I, I want to give you a quick moment here for gratitude. I'd like everybody to take sixty seconds and reflect on something over the last ninety days that you have um, are proud of, a positive moment. I'll share mine as an example. Mine is spending time with my daughters over um, uh, Halloween. They're getting to be 16 to 13. So they're not quite as into trick-or-treating as I'd love them to be, but it was a fun time to see them actually reluctantly go out and have a great time with that as well. But let me give you guys 30 to 60 seconds just to reflect on that for something that you have had that you're super positive about over the past say 90 days. I won't sing, I'll just leave 30 bare seconds. That's about twenty-two, but that's all I could wait. So, with that, actually, what I want to do, if I can, uh, Miles, I'm going to call you to the carpet a little bit here. What about you? What do you have?
1: What are you grateful for over the pay, say last ninety days? Just yeah, to- I mean, our I would go with just last weekend, um, along with David, we hosted a or we participated in the Walk to End Alzheimer's here in town, and not only were we able to raise, I think, over over our goal, which was fifteen thousand uh, dollars, towards that that cause, we also, you know, had numerous friends and clients come out and join us on the walk so it was cool to see um the team here come together for that cause as well as clients joining in it with us
0: fabulous thank you very much i appreciate that Uh, how about zach how about yourself
1: um
2: i think mine too was um well chris chris can relate to living in wisconsin right we we get a couple of couple of good days a year for good weather but just the time spent with uh my family and my kids here over this last year reflecting, if you go back a couple of years, how much life has changed. But we certainly spend a lot more time now and it's a good
0: realization that this is
2: where this is what we should be doing with our time.
0: That's outstanding. No, I appreciate that as well. Well, before I introduce our guest here, I did have one uh one joke for you. And I got to ask you a question. What are computers' favorite snacks? Microchips, fish sticks, and cookies, but just a bite of each. Anyway, I thought that's always good to bring in some time. It's a great dad joke if you want to bring it up. Maybe it's a bit too technical for the little kids, but I'd like to to always set it off a little bit of humor as well. But with that, I'd like to introduce Jessica Rice. Like I said, she is our guru for everything uh, to keep us safe, if you will, at Raymond James. She's in charge, and it's called the BISL, which is a business information security lead at Raymond James. So she's in charge of all information and security tech, uh, I guess, protection for us that you'll find online and for our computer connections for you as well. But what I'd like to do is introduce her and bring her on. Um, she's fabulous. She's got some slides. She's got a bunch of things to illuminate, but also at the end, we're going to have some question and answers too. So feel free to queue up your questions if you want to put them in the queue itself like we do, or if you'd like to, um, and probably the only way you can do that, we'll read those questions off as we go along as well. But we're going to stop uh, talking now, and I want to introduce our, our vaunted guest here today, um, Jessica. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks, Chris, it's great to be here. Um, So I will go ahead and share my screen. And as Chris said, we'll certainly uh, leave room for uh, time at the end to answer questions. But as I've said, if there's anything um, that comes up during as we're going over some of that uh, content, if you have any questions, feel free to just pop them in the Q&A box and I'll take some time and I'll stop and I'll uh, discuss that because ultimately this is a time for you to really learn about some cybersecurity practices that we're doing here, as well as things that you can implement in your personal life. So can everybody see my screen? I think so, so I will move ahead. But if at any point it's not the PowerPoint slides, definitely let me know. Okay. All right, so what will we talk about today in terms of cyber? There's a lot to cover, um, but what we'll do is we'll go over the current environment. So, what does the cybersecurity landscape look like today? What are we potentially seeing in the news? And then, what does that mean in terms of the cyber threats? What we'll find is that a lot of what we see in the landscape today boils into some consistent umbrellas of cyber threats, and we'll talk about what those are and how to spot them. After I've sufficiently scared you guys, we'll talk about the information security strategy at Raymond James, what we're doing to protect firm data, client data, financial advisor data, um, and how we're looking ahead as to uh, constantly staying up to date in terms of protecting against these ever evolving cyber threats. We'll go into some key capabilities that Raymond James uh, has created and provided to foster a good cyber hygiene. And and we highly encourage you to take, uh, you know, make use of those capabilities. And then we'll round it out with some personal recommendations. So how can you protect yourself at home? How can you protect your families? Because what we think is that when you implement good cyber hygiene best practices in your personal life, you're much more likely to carry them over into your work life as well. And then as I've said it, we've spoken about Q&A. So what does the landscape look like today? So it seems like every day there's something new in the news about cyber, whether it's a company taken offline for multiple days, large sums of money that a company has had to pay uh, due to a cyber attack, whether it's uh, infrastructure being targeted or uh, things like hospitals or key uh, industries that are being targeted by cyber criminals, often to disrupt, to cause chaos. I think all of us have been following recently over the past you know six months or so the Russia and Ukraine war that is very you know importantly a cyber war as well where we'll see you know nation state threat actors actually targeting um, nations that are you know what they deem their enemies and what we see from that cyber attack activity is a little bit different than what we would see in the financial services industry. So for us the most common form of uh, cyber attack is those that are monetarily motivated. Uh, The end goal will often be to steal money. Why is that? Well, that makes sense, right? Because financial services, the finance industry is where the money is, quote unquote. So it makes sense that we're looking at monetarily motivated threat actors, whether it be smaller cyber criminal groups or uh, large nation states that maybe have Uh, pretty destitute economic situations. So these headlines are often meant to inspire fear, um, to make it seem like there's something really complex going on in the cyber landscape that only IT experts will know how to handle. But often these threats are boiled down to some pretty consistent and common uh, cyber tactics. It does also seem like these headlines are increasing every day in the news. And what we found is that perception is actually reality. So we are seeing a year-over-year increase in cyber attack activity and cyber volume. Um, I've called out some interesting statistics here, one of which is that 100,000 attackers attempt to initiate more than 100,000 telephone-oriented attacks every day. So when we think about this volume, that's a lot of Uh, suspicious and malicious calls that you may be receiving about things like, you know, your social security. This is coming from uh, the social security organization and you need to provide information. This is coming from, you know, Comcast, your internet provider. Um, Cybercriminals will often pose as key players in, you know, our lives and initiate phone calls, request information. We're seeing this increase, mainly because there's going to be a consistent balance and struggle between um, new technology, new functionality, and securing that technology. So as we look at features that make it easier for us to do business, um, maybe it's the ability to log into to your financial account using your Facebook account, linking social media with more uh, higher privileged accounts. Those are meant for ease of use for us as individuals as clients of our you know credit card companies of our banks of our you know financial institutions but what it also creates is an opening or an opportunity for cyber criminals to utilize that technology for their own gain. They're not looking at those new features and functionality and thinking, great, it's so much easier for Jessica to log into her credit card account now, right? Um, They're looking at it and thinking, how can we use this to get into her account to gain access to her information and to her assets? We're seeing uh, the pervasive use of most mobile devices. So, uh, you know, I'd be hard pressed to find somebody that doesn't have a smartphone and doesn't have access to all of their applications and their accounts at, you know, a fingertip um, at this point. And then we're also seeing technology evolve to more cloud-based solutions, uh, which, you know, has occurred over the past few years and is certainly uh, a new opportunity for cybercriminals we've seen organized crime become more organized than ever. So it's not just, you know, the case of you seeing you seeing it on the big screen in a movie anymore where cyber criminals are having coordinated effort to perpetrate whatever their objective is. Uh, at Raymond James, we have a specific team within our Cyber Threat Center, which is our group of information security teams that are focused on protecting our network, protecting our information. We have a team specifically dedicated within that organization to collecting intelligence. It's called our Cyber Intel Cell, and that uh, group is focused on monitoring the cyber attack vectors that are happening in today's world out in quote, unquote, the wild, as we say, in the information security organization. And basically looking to understand how cyber criminals operate, why they react the way they do, what their motivation is, what are some of the tactics they use. And the more information we have and the more we're able to understand the cyber criminal, the more we're able to put uh, appropriate tactics and uh, security, as well as, you know, professional subject matter experts in place to protect against those attacks. So we actually uncovered as monitoring one incident that occurred not related to Raymond James, but something that we are monitoring out in the world, um, information around a particular cyber criminal group was leaked. And we were able to actually have a peek behind the curtain at their organizational structure. And what we found is that those cyber criminals and that particular group were actually operating as, you know, any legitimate company might have. They had middle management, they had their analysts, they had their senior leadership, they had different chains of commands, they had turnover that they were looking to uh, address, right? So they were operating almost in what we think of as a legitimate structure. It wasn't just a band of, you know, cyber experts, you know, in their mom's, mom's basement all communicating on the dark web. In fact, it was you know, mostly a highly coordinated effort. And what we could see is that a lot of times for cyber criminals, that line of work, it's their day job. So we'll actually see them clock out for holidays. We'll actually see them clock out for the weekends. We'll see upticks in cyber attack activity when they know uh, a particular nation that they're focusing on. For example, the United States has a national holiday and people may not be uh, on top of what their computer happens to be doing. By understanding that as part of our job uh, at Raymond James, we're able to then understand that we may not always be the target of some of these attacks that we're observing, but we can certainly use the information that we gain from how those attacks have occurred to put preventative measures in place. Cyber espionage is just not not in a movie script anymore as well. Um, That is not something that the financial services industry sees as much. But what we do see is cyber criminal groups that are financially motivated, leveraging the, you know, tactics that were utilized in an espionage uh, type altercation, like we see with Russia, Ukraine, leverage those tactics and direct them to their own uh, intended victims. So we still monitor those large global cyber issues that occur, because while we may not be the direct target, we certainly may see some of those tactics used towards us in a week's time, in a month's time, in a year's time, and we want to be prepared. So what do some of these threats boil down to? I'm going to speak a lot about phishing today. Phishing is a type of social engineering cyber threat, where a a cyber criminal relies on the human element of human error, of human emotion, of human psychology to uh, elicit information from their intended victim. So phishing is conducted over email. We have smishing, which is SMS phishing. Where do we think that lives? That's over SMS text. Um, We have vishing, voice phishing. So when we talked about uh, that uh, statistic a couple slides ago where we had 100,000 criminals launching 100,000 vishing based or phone based scams that's what we're talking about with vishing but phishing is over email and we're talking about email today because you know how if I, if i could see everyone now i would ask people to raise their hands and tell me if you don't have an email account and i think we would see that not many hands came up right we all are operating within our email whether it's contacting our family members our colleagues our network our peers through our workday. We're monitoring and managing hundreds of emails at times a day. Cyber criminals know this is where we're doing business. This is where we're communicating with our peers. And that's why they're leveraging and launching attacks through this channel. Um, But they're, again, not above using any communication channel. Social engineering is that umbrella with the human element. And with any phishing attack, there's typically a request for information. Now that information can look like requesting your uh, PII, or personally identifiable information, which is um, social security, sometimes your first name, last name, your address, um, any sensitive information that you would not want um, getting out, right, what you would consider private, that's what they're looking for. And that's typically utilized within our context and our scope as trying to then gain access to your financial accounts. We have them also request your credentials. So what it's what we call credential phishing. They're looking to have you accidentally or unknowingly provide your username and password to an account. That could be through saying, hey, I'm your IT support. I can see something is going on on your computer. I need to be able to log in and remote in. Can you please download this software, enter your credentials and I'll be all set. How many of us would answer that uh, message and think, oh, it's my IT support. I want to be able to you know, have my computer have uh, good security, so let me just comply, right? We also have them put up fake uh, websites, right, that look like login portals, so that you might accidentally or unknowingly enter your credentials, credentials there, thinking that you're entering it into a legitimate site. Um, a lot of us are managing our emails on autopilot, so they're looking for those mistakes too, where you know I may be running late to a meeting or have uh, I'm on the way to my doctor's appointment and I'm answering email through my phone and I maybe see a link and without thinking, I click on that link and provide information. They're hoping that people will click, they're hoping that people won't actually take that second step and be skeptical about what is being asked of them to then ask questions, validate, And potentially not even respond. So, fortunately for us, uh, there are always red flags associated with phishing emails. Um, One common red flag is that there will most often be a sense of urgency, and that sense of urgency can look pretty different across the board. It could be a fire sale, where if you don't uh, utilize this coupon in the next 24 hours, you could be missing out on 70% off your favorite store. It could be Um, if we don't receive this wire transfer today, you will be fined in accordance with some bureau that they've made up. It could be an advisor who receives an email from their, who they think is their client and their client says, Hey, uh, you know, I'm going on a cruise. I won't have any Wi-Fi or any service. I need you to perform this wire transfer now. And, you know, unfortunately it needs to happen ASAP. Otherwise, um, you know, I'll miss my bill right or, or whatever the justification is but you know they've got limited time to do this because they're going on vacation and cyber criminals do this because they're looking to have you overlook some of the red flags of the the ask and basically say you know, as an individual that has a relationship, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, you want to, you know, service your client or you want to be a good business partner. And therefore you may be more likely to jump on that sense of urgency when you see ASAP in all capitals in the subject line without really thinking, does this make sense? The other way that they'll have you overlook that gut instinct is by posing as a person of authority. We actually see CEOs and other high profile senior executives often be the target of impersonation because their name is widely recognized. Um, I've seen online, you know, a few popular cases that have come about where new interns in a company think that they're receiving an email from their CEO asking them to do something and they feel special, right? You know, they're the lowest on the totem pole and they do wanna do a good job for the head of their company. So they may be go out and purchase gift cards. They may be provide information initiate a, you know, document transfer without thinking because they think that this is a high profile ask of them. Cyber criminals are devious and they'll do this on purpose, knowing that interns may be new to the company, uh, unaware of some of the business protocol that others may stop and ask about. um, And therefore they'll, they'll, often target those individuals posing as people of authority. That's also the case for our financial advisors. So we'll often see cyber criminals try to pose as a prospective client or even as you the client um, because they know that financial advisors value your relationship and they do wanna do a good job in managing your accounts. We also see uncommon language and spelling errors. Now it used to be that cyber criminals who are operating outside of the United States would have some grammatical or, you know, English language issues where it just doesn't sound like somebody who's native to English speaking and therefore it would be a red flag, right? The sentence structure didn't really add up. They have unfortunately gotten better at disguising uh, their requests to have it be a little bit more seamless in terms of uh, the communication aspect. But what they can't disguise is not having the same rapport as that legitimate person. So a lot of the cyber attacks and the phishing scams that we capture in our daily lives, as well as the ones that we see from a Raymond James perspective is when advisors will come to us and say, hey, I received this email from my client, but I communicate with this client pretty regularly and it simply doesn't sound like them. It doesn't have the ask that they typically ask. It doesn't, they didn't sign off like they normally would the rapport that we have developed was missing. And that is true for anyone in our lives, right? If you know somebody and you're familiar and you have established rapport, you have a pretty uh, good gut instinct when it just doesn't sound like something that they would ask, how they would phrase something. And oftentimes acting on that gut instinct of this doesn't really add up, saves us a lot of time and effort recuperating funds or uh, you know switching account passwords to try to minimize any damage to exposed information. There are also some technical details that um, can often come up when we're managing email that we should be aware of as being an indicator that it could be a suspicious email. We've seen cases where cyber criminals will actually spoof domains. And what that looks like is a cyber criminal will have it appear to come from jessica.rice at raymondjames.com, which is my legitimate email. Um, But when we go to reply, that email then changes From my legitimate email to x123 at comcast.net so it looks like it's coming from my legitimate email but they've basically impersonated that without actually compromising my account and they're having that response forward to their own managed email account which is nothing like our legitimate Raymond James email so that's some technical details on your personal computers if you were to ever hover over a link and that link didn't go through the steps, uh, you, you think you're going to fedex.com, um, and you're looking at that path on that link, then it says FedEx, but the E is a three, that should be an indicator that it may not be a legitimate website that it's having you navigate to. So on the top right-hand corner is actually an example of a legitimate email, uh, well, a legitimate suspicious and malicious email that was sent to someone named John Podesta. Now, if you're not familiar with that name, he was a little bit influential in a few presidential campaigns of the past, which contributed to email leaking. Now, what email did he receive? So he received something that he thought came from Google that said, hey, we can see somebody has tried to sign into your email account. As a precaution, you should change your password. Now, Gmail and Google actually does send Uh, notices like this, letting us know when somebody has tried to log into our account. Cyber criminals know this, and they'll try to copy it and direct uh, unsuspecting people to their own websites. So John received this email. He thought, okay, I should probably change my password as a precaution. He clicked on that change password link within the email, and he was brought to a site that looked like a legitimate password reset site that said, please enter your current password and your new password and click update. When he entered in his current password and his new password and he clicked update, what do we think happened? Well, nothing. Um, Other than that, his email password was now recorded. We know they had his email address because they sent him this email and then they now had his password. They were then able to successfully log into his account. Now, what could John have done to prevent this from happening, to prevent himself from falling victim? one of the things he could have done was avoid clicking on that link within the email and just gone directly to his security and privacy settings. Yeah, we'll see sign-in attempts, both legitimate and often cyber criminals. So how do we know the difference? Well, sometimes you don't even have to look into it, right? If we've seen that uh, email and we know, okay, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, let me go directly to my uh, password and security configurations within my account without clicking on this link. And that way you know you're in that legitimate site um, and you are changing your password in a, via a legitimate means. The other thing John could have done to protect his account, would be to enable multi-factor authentication. Now, if there's one thing that you take away from this call, I highly recommend implementing multi-factor authentication um, on all of your accounts, starting with your priority accounts, because it is one of the most vital uh, lines of defense against account compromise. Multi-factor authentication uh, can be three things. It can be something you are, like a biometric, your face ID, your fingerprint, something you know, like a token, Um, or a passcode or something you have, right? So a physical security token that you plug in. Um, So all of those, and we most commonly see a passcode, would have prevented that from happening. So had John enabled multi-factor authentication on his Gmail account, yes, the cyber criminal would have had his legitimate username and password, but when they went to log in, they would then receive another page that said, please enter your code. They wouldn't have that code and it would have been significantly more effort to receive that code from John and they might have moved on. Um, So it's all about making ourselves a hard target. Another common threat that we're hearing about, especially, you know, more recently, is ransomware. So ransomware is a type of malicious software that's used to essentially lock you out of a system, of your network, of your computer. Um, And ransomware, what will happen is a a ransom note will pop up on your uh, screen and it will basically say pay X amount of cryptocurrency within this time frame or multiple things will happen. We'll leak your information, we'll let everyone know that you were hit by ransomware and therefore vulnerable um, or you'll lose your information forever. And a lot of people panic in that moment. And there's a lot of conversation around um, what to do when you're hit with ransomware, when you're dealing with a cyber criminal. And something that Raymond James is constantly enforcing is we have to remember that when we're handling or we're dealing with a cyber criminal, we're not dealing with professionals. Uh, we're not dealing with a legitimate company. Yeah, their structure may look similar, but we have no assurance that you know the decryption key that they provide us will actually work as intended. We have no assurance that they won't provide us our information back, but also publish it on the dark web where it's then uh, susceptible and you know people need to then undergo disclosures or whatever else. Um, we have no assurance that they'll provide our information back and not come back around and, and hit us with ransomware in six months. So ultimately the key with ransomware is prevention and th- data backups, <clears throat> excuse me, data backups are that most critical piece in um, preventing the need to interact with the cyber criminal to ha- uh, in the unlikely event that you're hit with ransomware. And data backups are important across the board because when we think about other events like um, Florida, we were just dealing with a natural disaster or uh, you spilled coffee on your laptop, right? We all have to think about what would we lose, right? If we were locked out of our computer tomorrow, do we have anything saved locally? Are we using a cloud backup? Have we backed up our data recently. Um, So whether it be a cyber criminal or whether it be a fluke coffee spillage, right? We really need to think about um, where our data is and what would happen if we lost it or did not have access to it. And Colonial Pipeline on the top right-hand corner, that's an example of a company that paid $5 million in Bitcoin, I believe, to to a ransomware group to restore their data. And ultimately the decryption key that they had purchased for that 5 million Bitcoin to unlock their systems was too slow did not work as intended and they ended up having to restore from data backup anyway so that's just another you know piece that emphasizes not wanting to uh, not trusting a cyber criminal and not wanting to have to be in a position position where you feel that you need to pay and from the bottom right hand corner you can see that uh, cyber criminals are doing pretty well from the, for this for themselves uh, this is a leader of a cyber criminal group who you know it's very successful monetarily. It's fairly easy to to deploy ransomware. And that's why cybercriminals continue to do so because it's fairly little effort for a lot of return. So all of those that we talked about, phishing and ransomware, are are two of the most applicable cyber threats. But there's definitely multiple in here that we haven't touched on. But in the financial services services space, as I've said, uh, most of these cyber attacks culminate in uh, payment fraud and fraud in general. So why are fraud being you know, a big goal for cyber criminals? That makes sense. Raymond James, the highest threat we see by volume is payment fraud attempts. Knowing this, we're able to put protections in place. So what do we do to protect your information? Knowing that all of these threats are out there, knowing that those are the tactics that they use. Well, we have a four-pronged approach. And essentially, this approach focuses on executing on the fundamentals of security flaw- flawlessly. So the first piece is protection. So first is having a a robust technology stack that's essentially making sure that um, we have all the technology in place to do the heavy lifting, to protect the large volume of attack that we may see towards us. Um, And I know when Chris and I spoke at the conference, we had actually had an attack map up, which I'll show you a screenshot of, which basically shows the type of activity that we see almost like a missile, it looks like it's a missile, directed towards our data centers. And we're blocking all of that tech, that traffic, all of that volume, whether it's uh, trying to see if we have vulnerabilities, looking for information that may be publicly exposed, cyber criminals snooping around our network, right? We're blocking all of that with our technology. So we really want our uh, cyber experts to focus on some of the more higher level targeted um, and sophisticated attacks and have our technology blocked the vast majority. I see we have a question, so let me pull this up. Um, okay, so I see that we have, so while we're on phishing, um, I have a question on, I receive a lot of email from no sender, I delete them right away, but is there a way to block it? Now that's a good question. So when it comes to managing our email, there's a few things, and I'll go back to phishing here, uh, there's a few things that we can do to really reduce the amount of spam that we may see. Now, the first one I would say is avoid clicking the unsubscribe button. That may seem like the obvious choice, but if there's an unsubscribe, um, there are times where cyber criminals have actually injected that button with um, malware or with a uh, malicious site where they'll have you enter your credentials. So ultimately blocking those, um, blocking those senders and moving to junk is the best approach and deleting them. The other piece I would see is You know, think about where it appears that they're coming from, if that's coming from what you think is your, uh, one of your accounts that you have, maybe it's LinkedIn, for example, Uh, reaching out directly to LinkedIn support and saying, you know, I'd like to be taken off this list or leveraging a separate email altogether for your private accounts. So your most uh, privileged accounts, like your uh, financial accounts and, Having a separate email dedicated to just those that you're not using to sign up for everything else, because a lot of the times our exposure on our personal email accounts is so great because we use it to sign up for a meal delivery service, we use it to sign up for um, our you know bank account, and we use it to sign up for you know some software that we thought we maybe wanted to use and then we never used it again. So our email is out there. If we can utilize maybe a separate email for one of our more sensitive accounts, that then weeds out a lot of that traffic that you can then manage that more uh, highly visible email account more uh, cautiously.
0: So Jessica, I have a question when it goes with that as well. Uh, This is Chris. Um, Yeah. Well, there's one question. What about cell phone as well? Cell phone activities become very common where we not only access our emails, but also access the same phishing texts as well. Mm -hmm. So I get email on computers, but since a lot of people are more mobile today, Um, Is there anything to do that uh, same kind of protection when you're looking at those kind of texts you receive as well, unsolicited?
3: Yes. So I would say, you know, the first piece is what not to do, which is not to interact with them. Um, We actually have some cases where, you know, it feels like it's better to respond, respond and say, stop doing this. I know that this is criminal activity. Ultimately, any response to a cyber criminal gives them incentive because they know that you've responded, you may be likely to respond again. So not responding is a a critical piece. I typically delete those when I see them because we have to understand that a lot of the times it's not targeted towards us. Our information is just publicly available, right? Whether we be we posted it on social media or whether it be... um, You know we presented at a conference and we provided our information and there was external parties and now they have our information so how somebody maybe has received your phone number you know when we think about the information that's available available about us over the public internet as we have more digital presence we have to be really cautious about what we're actually putting out on the internet um because all of that like our phone number can be used against us now Luckily, there are um, some tools that uh, companies are coming out with, like the ability to obscure your email address. I, I've started to see that on my iPhone when I'm signing up for different accounts, um, so that my, you know, personal email address is not visible. For phone numbers, ultimately, you know, a lot of the times it's more public record than we might think. So there's not too much we can do to block that sender, other than to. Uh, leverage our phone settings and what our provider has provided to us to delete, to block, um, to mark as spam, right? So that we can constantly fine tune. And then ultimately, I'm pretty sure phone-based scams. there are like, you can report that to the FBI as well. So if you receive something, um, they do have, you know, some of our government agencies does have reporting lines that you can follow up if it's happening consistently enough. But yeah, mobile is is a whole separate animal. I mean, most of the time we'll talk about some of the fundamentals to protecting our digital landscape and it'll be one and the same, right? How you secure your accounts on your computer will then uh, benefit securing your mobile devices as well.
0: Yeah, because it's so, interesting. I get a lot of, I get a lot of text right now. It's, it's not even my name. Hey, Jim, how was golfing yesterday with so-and-so? And I think they're just looking to fish for some sort of response to see if it's live. So I just simply delete those.
3: Yeah, and that's the best course of action at this point, um, other than, you know, there are some options, I think, where you can mark it as spam or, spam or block that sender altogether.
0: Phenomenal. Thank you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So protection is that first piece. That second piece is detection. So while we have that technology stack available with overlapping solutions that are blocking the bulk of our suspicious activity from even touching our network, We also, any good strategy does need to assume that there will be cyber criminals that get into our network. And when that happens, we need to be able to detect on that activity and take defensive action as soon as possible. So we're constantly fine tuning our alerting, our event management solutions to make sure that we're capturing and that we're alerting on what we consider anomalous activity. So client access is a good example of where we institute a large amount of alerting based on user activity. So uh, we have alerts in place, for example, around volume of login attempts. It may be normal for us to see maybe hundreds, if not thousands of login attempts at noon on a Wednesday, right? But if we see thousands of login attempts at 4 a.m., that should be an indicator that that's not typically when we see legitimate users logging into our site or attempting to log in. So we want to detect on that, look into it, and block um, any fraudulent activity that's occurring. And we see cyber criminals love leverage this uh, credential stuffing, quote unquote, attack, which is um, where they basically try to overwhelm the system and hope that one of the variations of login, username, and password works and it's legitimate. So we want to detect on that, take defensive action. Ultimately, we hope that right our, our protection tactics will be um, robust enough to cap- capture a large um, scope of that volume, but we do have to have those detection measures in place. And we actually have a team within that cyber threat center that I mentioned earlier, uh, called our threat hunting team. That's job is to look for any suspicious activity on our network and take defensive action. So speaking about that team development is our third pillar, which essentially is around our people. So we've got technology, we've got alerting, but people is also a huge role, play a huge role in our cyber uh, tactics, whether it be educating our financial advisors and our clients, right, on a call like this so that we can all raise our cybersecurity expertise and our practices that make it easier for us as a firm to protect your information, or whether it be training our cybersecurity experts to make sure that they're up to date on the latest technology being used, the latest tactics being implemented, so that they know it when they see it and that they can take the appropriate actions as needed because they're knowledgeable. We also cross-train as well so that we're understanding from an IT perspective the business use case, how uh, our you know, branches, our advisors interact with our technology, how their clients interact with. Our technology and what we can do to make it easier, you know, still to do business, but also to secure that functionality. And that last piece is partnerships. And this one's always interesting that I like to call out, which is when it comes to cybersecurity, when it comes to information security, we don't really have a competitive landscape across the financial services industry. You would think definitely in a lot of other places there is competition, but when it comes to information security, we're all pretty closely aligned to defend against our common enemy, which is somebody looking to illegally obtain information or uh, steal assets or money out of accounts. So we partner within uh, financial sh- services, information sharing organizations like FSI FSISAC, um, essentially to share information that we see. Maybe Wells Fargo sees a a cyber threat that occurred on their network, and they share uh, that information, that evidence of that attack within this financial sharing organization. Raymond James then consumes that information, says, okay, that's good information to have. Let's take a look. Has this evidence, have these signatures been found in our network? Can we see that maybe we were also uh, targeted as well? If we haven't. Let's implement defenses that will address this and alert on these types of signatures when we see them. Or if we have, what happened? Did our technology solution capture it? If it did, great. If it didn't, where could we strengthen that security posture? So it's this constant evolution um, through these partnerships, whether it be the financial services space and the organizations we're a part of, or whether it be um, managing and interacting with our government partners like the secret service like the FBI to share information um, because Raymond James is focused on prevention right we're on the defense we're protecting our information our job and our role is not to go on the offense but that's where the government agencies come in to play where we package this evidence on maybe a cyber criminal group or even an individual and we provide it to our government partners to say you know this is what we found um and then they can you know take prevention, and offensive action. So what does this look like in practice? Um, we have what we call a defense in-depth approach, and this is a pretty standard information security uh, framework, which basically states that um, we're trying to make it as hard as possible for the cyber criminal to enter our network. So we have overlapping technology, uh, human expert, and other defenses in place that make it so that there's multiple hoops for cyber. C- criminal to jump through to get into our network. Um, Here you can see, right, what we call kind of the onion slide, which is our security needs to be an onion, right? If there's one door open, that makes it significantly easier. And what we found is that cyber criminals are not looking to make their jobs any harder than it needs to be. They're looking for the easiest possible way in. So if we make ourselves a very hard target, it's likely that they may move on. And what does this look like, you know, additionally in practice? So, when we talk about email, I think it's important to note that the difference between whatever work email you have and whatever personal email you have, that security delta is pretty huge. So, when we look at the Raymond James email inboxes that we manage, like your financial advisors and their branch personnel, we're weeding out and removing about a fourth of the email that they receive. Um, and you can see that through this process because it's known malicious identified as suspicious whether we're analyzing the sender domains the email addresses that are sending that and saying that's on a block list and we won't let that through or whether we're dynamically analyzing the content within that email to look for malicious content we're constantly analyzing all of that email so if you ever have you know if you're if you're currently working and you have a work email you'll notice you receive a lot less spam in that work email. Why is that because oftentimes firms, enterprise security is weeding out that vast majority, which means that, of course, um, there's less likelihood that you'll click on something malicious that was sent on your to your inbox. But we also have to consider that account compromise, we won't always be able to block a legitimate email address, right? So a lot of the incidents that we deal with is around clients whose email addresses were compromised, right? Their email accounts were compromised. they send a message to their advisor that's a legitimate, you know, that's your legitimate client email address. Raymond James is not looking to block legitimate clients, but uh, we can't always tell whether that is based on, you know, a legitimate ask or whether their email has been compromised. So we constantly have to fine tune that. Um, And that's why looking out for those red flags is so important so that we can reduce the likelihood that an adversary will gain access to our legitimate inbox and then send email. So we talked a lot about the Cyber Threat Center, whether it be our intelligence cell, whether it be our threat uh, threat hunt center. Um, And ultimately, there's multiple expertise within the Cyber Threat Center, whether it be our incident response. We also have a team dedicated to vulnerability management, um, to insider threats as well. And we're monitoring the Raymond James network and our information 24-7. We have three different locations placed strategically in three different time zones. That's geared to make sure that when one team is asleep, another one is up and actively monitoring our system. So this is kind of a screen grab of some of the traffic we'll see coming from certain countries directed towards um, our data centers and what's being blocked, right? Um, And we monitor this, but we're not ultimately concerned with with what we see that's being blocked by technology. Um, We have our experts looking at this more sophisticated attacks.
0: Hey, Jessica, what's interesting about this, is this is Chris again, the 50,000 attacks per second during peak business hours. So Mm -hmm. what they do when you get to see this live, which they were showing us at the national conference, you could see this in real time, they show you. I mean, it's, it's like a video game in real time. And it's constant. These lines are moving on a consistent basis. That's what they protect us from, keeping us safe, us not having to worry about it. And I mean, it's it's fabulous we have a team like this, a massive team like this, just preventing something simple as us being safe on our email and our information. So this, this really struck me both now and also when we were at the um, national conference, seeing these statistics, but watching this in real time as well. So,
3: yeah, and it's all levels of attack. It could just be a cyber criminal pinging our network to see what would, you know, if I knocked on the door, who would open it right in the cyberspace versus sending an attack and seeing if we're vulnerable. So it's all levels of severity of attention. And this is not, um, you know, Raymond James is not alone in this, right? Larger, uh, organizations uh, financial services as a whole will always be a pretty large target against cyber criminals because we go back to that same line because this this is where the money is and knowing that right it's a huge priority for us to block a lot of this from ever, ever getting into our network okay moving forward um so one of the, so what are the, some of the tools that we have in place to help you protect your information specifically at Raymond James so the first one is we've mandated Enhanced authentication or that multi-factor authentication on your client access accounts. So that went into effect, you know, over the past few years where we've mandated it and not made it optional because we it, we've seen it time and time again prove to be such a critical defense against account compromise. You may be having a bad day. You accidentally provide your client access credentials to a a criminal or to a site that you think is legitimate It ends up not being, or maybe you've reused. We wouldn't want to hear that, but maybe you have the same password for your client access account that you do for another account, and they were a victim of a breach. Um, We want to make sure that even in the event of those situations where the credentials are provided, that cyber criminals are still not able to get in. So this is why we enable multi-factor authentication, because it's such that key component. The other service that we um, offer is Client Access Vault. And you may have used this already. It's a tab within Client Access. And ultimately, it's a secure file share that you can share sensitive documents with you and your advisor, between you and your advisor. And I always say to highly leverage this, because as we've talked about with personal email, right? Like, Gmail, Yahoo, AOL, they're only doing so much. It's way different than what you would see in your work email. Why not leverage what Raymond James is, you know, we have millions of dollars in our IT budget, right? Um, Why not leverage our firm enterprise security tool that we know already has supervision, compliance, and security baked in to make it easy for you to securely share with some peace of mind with your advisor? And I also say that this can also serve as uh, as a red flag. Um we've I've heard some cyber cybersecurity experts say some of the important things to share with you know your business partners is establishing some of the things that you would never do. So, for example, if I'm talking to you know my subordinate, I could share with them. I will never ask you to purchase gift cards for me. If you're receiving a request from that you think is from me, requesting gift cards, know that I would never ask you that. Well, you could maybe establish something with your uh, financial advisor as well, saying, hey, I will never share uh, sensitive information with you over email. I will always upload that directly to Vault. That then creates a red flag because your then advisor knows, well, I just got something from Jessica that says confidential uh, as an attachment in my email, but I know she utilizes Vault he then may more quickly pick uh, pick up the phone to call me, right? Um, so leveraging Vault is huge. We've had, had people upload their will, other sensitive documents, financial accounts um, that they're linking and highly recommend Vault. So here are some other personal recommendations. Um, and I will, I know we're a little bit short on time and I do want to leave room for questions. So I'll call out the passwords. Now, passwords have become a prerequisite for our account uh, security. It's something we have to have. But the difference between a strong password versus a weak password is most often determined on length. So you can see here, even if you use numbers only, the longer your password is, the harder it is to guess or to crack by a cyber criminal. I always recommend a passphrase, which is a mixture of maybe three random unassociated words, um, like system, coffee, and Tampa, right? Those are three unassociated words, you add in some special characters, um, some numbers in there, and you've got a really secure password as you go down the list but that length is huge. Um, Not reusing passwords, I highly recommend a password manager, because we're not robots right we can't expect to know you know the 20 different unique passwords that we have across all of our accounts, especially if they're long. So leverage a password manager. I personally use LastPass. Raymond James has vetted a few of them. um, And they're specifically built so that the encryption, they're encrypted in a way where the company can't even see your information. So there's less of a risk that that company would then be a target of a cyber criminal. And then your information would all be exposed because it's in one place. The the risk is more if you forget your master password, which is that key to the kingdom, you may have to reset your passwords. When I implemented a password manager, I went about my daily life and I added passwords in as I was going in. So let's say I went to log into LinkedIn. I then uh, added in my password to my password manager. If I saw, oh, this is not a secure password because I think we were all guilty of at one point or another using one password and then slightly changing it up across all of our accounts, that makes it really difficult to manage your accounts. Because let's say LinkedIn was hit with a data breach, which it was um, maybe a year or two ago. And you say, okay, well, I know I need to reset this password, but where else have I used this password? If you have a unique password for LinkedIn alone, you don't have to go through that aggravation of figuring out where else you've used it. If it's on a more important account, um, you know, Raymond James, we mandate 16 plus character passwords for our financial advisors because we know this that strength, uh, that length is the strength, and therefore wanting to reduce the ability that it's being guessed or reused. Um, as well. Uh, the last thing before we open it up to questions is our security or our cyber promise. And basically Raymond James has in policy that we will reimburse client accounts if they are a victim of a cyber crime through no fault of their own and we'll make them whole. We have multiple policies in place uh, with you know, fairly robust volume, right? to To basically address the what if scenarios that can occur with cyber and make sure that clients know and understand that they're covered. So I know we've got about three or two minutes left. So I see we have one question here, um, which is, I know I know not to open a suspicious link within an email, but should I avoid opening the email altogether to avoid a threat? I would say there's different levels of skepticism that we can impl- and employ. I wouldn't necessarily re- recommend not opening an email um, because you could miss out on a legitimate email and, and therefore not respond to a time sensitive information. What I would say is validation is key. So if you open that email, first think about what are they asking me? Are they asking me to open an attachment? Are they asking me to click on a link? Why are they asking me to do that? Is there a legitimate site that I can go to, to then access this same information? Can I call or communicate via a different means with the sender? Let's say you receive an email from me saying, open this. Uh, If you respond back and say, Jessica, should I open this? It could be a cyber criminal. So if you have my phone number, give me a call and say, "Hey, I received this from you. Is this is this legitimate? Should I, you know, what is this information? Especially if you didn't expect to receive it." We see that with shipping notification fraud as well, um, where around the holiday season, cyber criminals will pose as Amazon, as FedEx, and say, "Hey, you know, click on here to track your your package." Well, you can easily go to that legitimate fedex.com website and copy and paste that tracking information in there. That's what I would recommend. Uh, drive-by campaigns are what we call um, campaigns where a user or an individual doesn't need to do anything and they could still be a victim. That's more the case with online browsing, less with your email. So with email, cyber criminals are dependent on you to enable net macros, enable content in an Excel file, to click download, to do something. Whereas if you're on an online site and you go to a blog post, right, that's not secure, um, that could be where a cyber criminal could have injected malware and it could be downloading without you knowing. That's why it's important to realize, you know, only navigate to official and legitimate sites. If you see a not secure, uh, little notification on your Google Chrome browser, cause I know they have those. If it says not secure, that should be an indication I should navigate away from this. Um, making sure you have antivirus on your, uh, computer as well to detect when something like that is occurring is also important but I think it starts with those passwords Um, it starts with passwords it starts with knowing the red flags and not responding immediately always taking that second step to think what am I what am I being asked
0: thank you we have another question as well with teenage kids in the family spending so much time on the web I expect our exposure is higher than we know or understand any suggestion or uh, to reasonably help or manage this at home
3: yeah, that's a good question. So there's a lot we can do with home security. So the first would be, um, you know, definitely utilize, depending on, you know, how old or young your kids are, utilize some of those uh, child protection functionality on your applications. I would also say a lot of us have Internet of home, uh, internet of Things devices in our homes, which is um, like our smart TV, Alexa, a ring doorbell. I would say you treat that like a computer because it is one. You need to update your computer regularly. You need to update those uh, devices as well. Changing default credentials is huge. And then I would think also uh, impressing upon your kids the importance of having maybe a password manager or managing their accounts in a way that they're not reusing the same password because ultimately the more complex or the more you have going on in your home, um, the more it's harder to manage. So keeping it simple, right? Your passwords in a password manager, making sure that they're unique, that's great. Uh, recognizing that your internet of homes devices are computers, treating them as such and employing automatic updates, changing default credentials your home Wi-Fi, have you changed the name of your Wi-Fi? You should do that. Have you changed that from the default credentials? Those are simple things that you can do that ups your security posture. Then as you have those baseline cyber hygiene tactics in place, then you can get a little bit more complex in terms of, um, you know, where, where do we, where else do we feel that our exposure is? You know, does my child have an email account? And are they signing up for different things? Have conversations around what that means, right? And and maybe leverage, as I was talking about earlier, that public-facing email account where you sign up for a mail delivery service and don't think twice about it. And then one where it's only your financial and important accounts. Um, now, obviously, the more email inboxes you have to manage, that adds complexity. So it's all about what you feel comfortable with. But starting with those fundamentals at home as well is, it's definitely important.
0: Uh, last question here. So I know we're running over. Thank you, Jessica. This is phenomenal. By the way, yeah, I just added a new word called cyber hygiene. So I'll be using. Oh yeah, that. So, you it's know, my hyper-
3: favorite.
0: Yeah, cyber hygiene. Can we floss? Can we cyber floss? Anyway, right. Another. Um. So so this one is uh, comes uh, from. I do not use credit cards to buy things online, although I do use. Uh, I do bank online because I trust the security there. Is there a best way to do this securely using a dedicated credit card for this only? Um, it's just a question that a client has. So it's, you know, are you, should you be okay storing credit cards online in certain cases? Cause it seems like there's a lot of breaches. Yeah. So
3: I think when accessing anything, including making a purchase, what's more important than, you know, should I input my credit card or not is where are you currently that you're doing this activity? If you're sitting in an airport and you're, um, logged into the airport's public Wi-Fi. I wouldn't recommend accessing your financial accounts. I wouldn't recommend purchasing and entering credit card information because that Wi-Fi network is inherently insecure. If you are at your home, right? Or if you are at your place of work and you are on a secure Wi-Fi network, I think it's safe to uh, also assume that the credit card payment uh, software that's utilized is a fairly secure protocol anyway. So I wouldn't necessarily shy away from uh, avoiding making payments online um, or accessing financial accounts. But I think that's really key, which is, you know, when I go to a hotel, for example, I often don't even um, join the hotel's Wi-Fi, right? I'll just use my hotspot if I have one. Um, Granted, I'm in the cybersecurity space, so I'm a little bit more cognizant, but... If you're at a Starbucks, if you're at a public site with insecure Wi-Fi, I wouldn't do either of those things. Um, I'm not necessarily too concerned with making credit card payments online. What I would say is, if you're asked, store this credit card, I typically say no, because I want to know where my credit card is stored, and I want to know that I'm I have. I want to have my arms around what I'm managing. So if I'm saving passwords, if I'm saving credit card information in my Google Chrome browser, but I'm also saving it in an app, but I'm also saving it at this particular website, I don't really have a good handle on where my information actually is online. So I like to know, right? For my passwords, for my uh, sensitive information, I have my one password manager I utilize. So when I get asked on my uh, web browser, do I want to save that password? I say no, right? Uh, Same with credit cards. I would probably default say no. Um, Even remember my device, right? I'll only do that on my actual primary devices and not just anywhere I go. So it's about thinking, taking a little bit more responsibility and thinking, okay, I'm I'm going to make a purchase. Where am I located? What am I connecting to? We also have things called VPNs, virtual private networks, um, that essentially create a secure tunnel between you and the internet So that if let's say you have a VPN and there's plenty of companies out there that do it, Raymond James, we have a VPN. Um, You know, When your financial advisors are accessing the Raymond James network and your client information, they're doing that securely through a virtual private network, but you can buy one for your personal life as well. I don't recommend spending a lot of money, especially if this is new for you. It's just something to consider, right? To have a secure channel, if that's something that you're worried about. Um, There's all levels of like, Cyber aptitude, right? How how much are you willing to kind of go down the rabbit hole? And there are plenty of people that go way down the rabbit hole, but I think fundamentally speaking, are you connected to a secure Wi-Fi? If no, don't browse to your sensitive accounts, whether it be purchasing, financial accounts.
0: Awesome. I came up with another word now, cyber aptitude. I'm just gonna put cyber in front of in front of a bunch <laughs> of stuff. i will sound really smart.
3: Well, um, I think cyber no hygiene's to. a sorry, go ahead.
0: No, you're good. Cyber hygiene is fantastic. Cyber aptitude, even better. Your cyber aptitude is obviously very high. Ours is, you know, uh, infinite or kind of infinitesimal, but in the sense we're growing. So the last thing I was going to say with that, so the, the connection you have, which is pretty critical if you're on a public Wi-Fi, no, but if you have your own data, like a lot of times you can get on a, on an iPad or something else, you can actually just connect through a cellular connection. Is that more secure, obviously than the public Wi-Fi? in general?
3: Yes. I would say it's probably more secure than the public Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um yep. and that's typically I'll I'll opt for hotspot first. So it's like it's tiers of security, yeah. right? Public Wi-Fi is probably the lowest. Mm-hmm. Um hotspot is an improvement and then mm-hmm. a secure channel like a VPN is a step up from that.
0: Awesome. That's perfect. Well, I know we've run over a little bit. We don't have any questions listed here, but I want to tell you thank you tremendously, at least for myself. I've got a full page, well, actually two pages of notes written down, a few wonderful words I can use as well now to sound a little bit smarter. More importantly, I've got a, b- a bunch of steps. But the page you have here, if you can maybe let um, you know, our teams have some of the pages, especially on the personal protective measures and a, that'd be a good one. Also, I think on the length, the the length of your mm-hmm. passwords, I think those were two slides that really struck me as um. Very important for us to be able to, yes, that one as well from Hive Systems. I mean, if there's any chance we could have both of those, we'll send those out to our clients afterward, because one thing I do know is with, us, with quantum computing coming up in a program I was in, they said that any password possible made by a human in the next uh, three or four years should be able to be decoded within seven to 10 seconds. I looked at that and I said, well, so what does that mean? Anything super important to you, you might want to go back to paper. I was like, well, mm. that's encouraging. <laughs> now that's if you have AI, if you have a quantum computer as well. So there's some things coming that maybe, you know, make our passwords even more important to have like 18 characters or more. So anyway, I thought this is a great slide for you. Thank you. Because if you do have a five or six letter password, they can it's numbers only. It's instantly they can break it. So yeah. And the
3: first first thing cyber criminals will check is, you know, is it password one, two, three? Is it yeah. welcome? Hello? Is it spring twenty eighteen? Right. Those are common ones. And you can actually look them up online and you know. The past phrase or your favorite song lyric, something that's not personally identifiable to you, like street you grew up on or, or things right. like that, um, you know, you may not, nobody knows your, your favorite song lyric unless you're very, very passionate, right? So, but that's an easy way to make it longer. But yeah, absolutely happy to send over these two slides um, we, and, and go from there.
0: That's fabulous. Well, I thank you. I know we've run over a little bit here. I'm sure some people had to jump off, but I find this absolutely fascinating. And I appreciate that you're there, that you have a team, that you lead that team and keeping us all safe, and especially the liaison between us and, uh, and you. Um, I'm, it's, it's one of those things where we can dive further and deeper into it, but I really wanted to introduce you to everybody. I you know Tim, David, and I, and our teams, especially with uh, Zach and um, Carson, Melissa, Ashley on the team as well, um, uh, Miles, I should say, as well. We really, really appreciate your time. We appreciate what you've uh, done for us today, really kind of letting us in a little bit and opening the curtain to really see what's going on with your cybersecurity here. It's funny, I'm doing this without any video, so I'll put that on there as well. Um, But opening that curtain, kind of, if you will, showing us what's behind the wizard, if you will, there's so much going on back there, which what seems simple is actually a multitude of many different cybersecurity systems layered just to keep us safe. So it gives us strong, to me anyway, it gives me strong confidence every time I talk to you guys and see what you're doing, the things you're adding, the layers you're adding for protection. You are so far out ahead of what I would expect. Uh, I just want to say thank you. Your your team is doing a wonderful job and uh, we we use that to feel like we're staying safe. So thank you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, happy to be here. And uh, of course, this is only the tip of the iceberg. So happy to answer any other questions that come up. Um, yes. If you know, anybody on the call is thinking about something after the fact and I'm happy to help.
0: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And on behalf of all of us here today and all of our teams and all the clients who actually have been on here and, and been going through and probably taking Kofi's notes as well, Jessica, thank you so much. We really appreciate you um, and what you're doing for us and keeping us safe. With you all clients as well, team members, we appreciate your time, most importantly. If we can bring you things like this, it will help you understand a bit more the security that's occurring on your accounts here, which is probably some of the most sophisticated you'll find in the world because we wanna keep your information safe. We do the same at our practices as well. We've got other layers, firewalls, other things that we have as well to prevent ransomware from happening in our offices. So we just want to make sure that you understand we take this very, very seriously, so much to invest our time in understanding how it can be safe to you, operating in health. We understand that your money is secure and important, but your money is there to live something more important. So I know all three of our teams share that it's we understand that your life is based with money with us to begin with. But there are things that are much more important that it supports. So, with that, we just wanted to give you some base understanding and security in another very important area of your life. So, thank you once again. We appreciate that. And until next time, we all say have a wonderful, wonderful fall and end of the holiday season. Have thank a good you. One. Bye. Thanks.
1: Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Retire While You Work podcast. I'm Miles Zuger, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we discuss creative ways to manage your time and money. any opinions are those of myself and not necessarily those of raymond james expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice the information contained in these podcasts do not purport to be a complete description of the securities market or developments referred to in this material the information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete every investor situation is unique and you should consider your investment goals risk tolerance and time horizon before making any investment Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. Any hypothetical examples are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary. Raymond James does not provide legal or tax services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional.